Welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church. And I have a new guest with me today. This is Ashley Wakefield. Hi, Ashley. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. <laughs> Ashley has been a great friend of mine uh, over the last couple uh, months now. Uh, yeah. We've been doing another podcast together at Wayfarers Christian Church where we go into deep biblical topics and ideas, and I thought that it'd be fun to have her on talking about um, some more intense biblical study and going through different chapters, because I really love her perspective, and I just think that um, it's fun to have more than just my voice on this podcast, honestly, so uh, I'm really excited. Uh, Ashley, did you want to tell everybody just a little bit about who you are, and just give everybody in the podcasting world sort of just why you care so much about the Bible and what it means to you? Yeah, so I'm a student here at Mid-South Christian College. Um, I'm majoring in Christian education, and I decided to do that because I do love the Word of God, because I know that it can be confusing. Uh, when I first started reading it, uh, when I was really young, I started reading King James Version, which in my personal opinion is not the best version because it's the most confusing. It has like all that, you know, thou art, thou shall not do that, you know, that old English type of language. And I think it's better when you can read versions that you understand. And I think when you get revelation out of the Word of God, it's very uplifting. Um, it gives you wisdom. It gives you knowledge. It gives you understanding, because I think the most important thing is not just reading the Bible, but understanding it and learning how to apply it to your life because a lot of people read it but they don't understand what they're reading and then when you understand what you're reading there's a lot of freedom in that and then you get the privilege of giving that freedom to other people and so that's basically why I wanted to study the word of God and learn how to teach it to other people because I think that's so incredibly important is to make it easy for people to understand so that's kind of the gist of it so. yeah that's great uh, I will ask a follow-up question uh, when you first came to the really hard books in the Bible. And I'm talking like books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, maybe like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Did you feel like that was like a big jump for you? And like, what was your sort of experience first time reading those books? Was it just like very intimidating or what? I honestly don't remember my first experience reading those specific books. I just remember being confused in general when I would read anything <laughs> from the Bible. Like I would read it and I'd be like, I don't understand anything that I read. And I think it was when I switched versions when I got older, like in my 20s. And I started reading different things like the ESV, the NIV, the New King James Version, which is much better to me than the King James Version. And so I think when you read it, because I think all those versions are out there to give people a better understanding because people can read the same thing, but they can interpret it differently. And so it's like those different versions are out there so that everybody, no matter how they may take something, can understand it better. And so that's why I don't like to, you know, buckle myself down to one version only because it's 
easier to understand when you read multiple things basically saying the same thing but in different ways and so I don't remember I just remember being confused a lot (laughs) and then I think that you know I recently actually read a book um the kingdom of god and the glory of the cross um by shriner i think his i know his last name is shriner i can't remember the first name but he talks about explanations of each book in the bible mm. and then when he gets to the major prophets which you know isaiah isaiah jeremiah and ezekiel which are considered the major ones like he breaks down what um how jesus is viewed in those aspects and what those books are about and you know it makes it easier to understand when you get even outside sources about what the bible is about so yeah yeah well i'm ex- so excited for us to dive into one of the more difficult books of the Bible, this long tome of Isaiah um, with 66 chapters. Um, We're doing chapter by chapter through this entire book, and we are now at chapter 15 with you coming along. So I'm really excited to jump into this. Um, If uh, you have been paying attention to what we've been doing in the podcast recently, we've been walking through um, really the first 12 chapters as a really set-apart segment of Isaiah. Um, And we are now in a new section of Isaiah, which from 13 onwards is really this section where uh, the prophet takes a turn no more talking about uh, Israel and Judah and is now talking about um, specific nations that are surrounding Israel and Judah. Um, So we covered Babylon in the last couple uh, episodes. We hit the Philistines briefly. And now we are to Moab for the next two chapters. So we're going to talk about Moab and we're going to talk about um, what they mean to the people of Israel. So it's going to be fun. So we're going to dive in right now. Thanks. A prophecy against Moab. Ar in Moab is ruined, destroyed in a night. Kir in Moab is ruined, destroyed in a night. Debon goes up to its temple, to its high places to weep. Moab wails over Nabo and Medabah. Every head is shaved and every beard cut off. In the streets, they wear sackcloth. On the roofs and in the public squares, they all wail, prostrate with weeping. Heshbon and Eliala cry out. Their voices are heard all the way to Yahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud, and their hearts are faint. My heart cries out over Moab. Her fugitives flee as far as Zoar, as far as Eglath Shalashia. They go up the hill to Luhith, weeping as they go. On the road to Horonaim, they lament their destruction. The waters of Nimrim are dried up, and the grass is withered. The vegetation is gone, and nothing green is left. So the wealth they have acquired and stored up, they carry away over the ravine of the poplars. Their outcry echoes along the border of Moab. Their wailing reaches as far as Eglayim. Their lamentation as far as Beer Elam. The waters of Demon are full of blood. But I will bring still more up from Demon, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and upon those who remain in the land. All right, so this is a fun chapter where we're talking about gruesome punishment again. Um, 
We're uh, going through the different uh, countries that God is um, showing their punishment. And uh, I read recently that um, specifically with chapter 15, some people think that this is a break from even the Babylonian chapters that came right before it. Um, they think that this period, because in chapter 14 at the very end, um, King Ahaz is recorded to have died. And if you don't remember back in chapter 7 and 8, King Ahaz was kind of a main character for some of the prophecies that Isaiah was giving. So they take that little phrase that King Ahaz dies at the end of chapter 14, and they say, okay, this is now a new section of prophecies, and we're going to jump forward a little bit in time. Um, the interesting thing about Moab overall, if you don't know anything about Moab, is that Moab really um, was is related to Israel in a lot of ways. They are, um, uh, mainly have the relationship to uh Lot, um, who was, uh, what was it, the un uh, cousin? Or do you remember what, what his actual relationship to Abraham was? was um, he was the nephew of Nephew, Abraham. that's right. Thank you. Um, he was the nephew of Abraham, and he ended up uh, leaving Abraham and settling in the realm of Sodom and Gomorrah, which ends up getting destroyed by God later on. Uh, most people know that story from Sunday school and things. They don't know the story afterwards where he ends up being very alone and having no um, a wife because his wife ends up turning back and becomes a pillar of salt. And so uh, rather than let um, him really die out and have no children, um, his daughters actually decide to trick him and end up having children with him. Um, and both those children end up becoming nations. One of those nations becomes Amnon, uh, which is, uh, if you've heard any of the stories in the Old Testament about the Israelites fighting the Ammonites, that is one nation, and that's all from Lot. And then the other nation becomes Moab, and that is the nation we're talking about right now. Um, their history also carries into Numbers. Um, there's a really interesting section of uh, Numbers that talks about this prophet named Balaam that tries to curse Israel three times. And every time he tries to curse Israel, instead of curses, blessings come out. And that was Moab that was trying to get him to curse the land of Israel. That's really interesting. It's also where you hear about a talking donkey. Um, when we get to Numbers, one day we'll get to Numbers. We'll talk about that. That's really fun. Um, but yeah, uh, Moab is involved there. Moab ends up uh, really causing Israel to be led astray um, several times throughout Judges. Um, and eventually uh, they end up really at this time period being sort of just a neighbor that has a begrudging acceptance that both parties are going to exist and uh, they're going to keep their borders pretty harshly guarded against each other. Um, but they're both going to exist in this land period. And so there's some tensions, but also re realize that Israel's kind of related to them. Ashley, what did you think about just the overall chapter and all of the geography? What was just your immediate um, thoughts as soon as you heard the chapter? Um, I know that when I was reading the chapter, there's definitely a lot of sadness, a lot of death going on. And I was trying to figure out the nation that was coming against Moab because I think it's Assyria, but I'm not quite sure. Is it Assyria? Yeah, yeah. So the um, the nation of uh, Assyria has been kind of the big baddie up until this point. But um, what we have here um, is interesting because a lot of commentators are saying that there's kind of a shift where we're on a new section now that King Ahaz has died. A lot of people say that this is now past kind of Assyria being st still as in control. And they think that um, there's some evidence, I guess, archaeologically that um, some raiders from the south in their 
Arabian desert actually came into Moab and caused all of this destruction. And so, because Moab oddly is situated really south in the land. Uh, it's not in that northern part, which is really close to Nineveh and Assyria. Mm. Um, it's really south, and it's even, I believe, souther than, uh, that's not a word, but we're, we're going to go with it, souther than uh, uh, Judah. And so it's, uh, most people uh, that I was reading about assume that um, these Arab um, colonies and things that were in the Arabian desert uh, came up into the north and uh, really caused this destruction. But yeah, um, what do you think about uh, just the overall um, uh, all these different like names and things like that? Uh, when I was reading through it, I was like, I'm not really familiar with a lot of these places. Um, but when I was looking it up, because um, I use my Logos Bible at to kind of, you know, break down certain verses to help understand mm-hmm. um, what it's saying. Now, I know it's some of the places it seems like that some of the nations of Israel helped build those um, cities or those nations, because I know that when they traveled over to the promised land, there were three nations that stayed on the other side after they helped them win the war. So like Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they stayed on the other side because yeah. there was like really good pasture for their sheep and their cattle and everything. And I know that some of the things that are listed, I think Gad and Reuben helped build um, those cities. Let me, because I think it mentions it in the book of Numbers, if I'm able to go back oh, yeah. and look at that. So uh, let's see, in Numbers 32 and 37, because um, that's when it's talking about Heshbon and, mm-hmm. um, El- is it Elalea or Elia? Let's see, point to it. Right here. Uh, yeah, Elialah. Elialah, okay, I'm not the best at pronouncing these things. <laughs> so, but in Numbers 32 and 37, it says, and the people of Reuben built Heshbon and Elialah and Kiriathim. So it's like they... You know, Reuben helped to build that. And then also, if you go back to Numbers 32 and 34, it mentions Dibon up in that yeah. chapter. Mm-hmm. And it says um, that the people of Gad built Dibon and Adaroth and Eroer. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's like Gad and Reuben, you know, played a part in building up those those areas. And so I know that it seems like God seems to be more sympathetic to Moab being destroyed. Well, and, I do know that in Judges... Uh, I think by that point, Moab had taken over quite a bit of the area that Mm -hmm. was supposed to be Israel territory. So I'm wondering if by this point in time, um, most of those cities had been uh, repopulated as Moabite cities or if they intermingled. The possibility is that that, uh, many Moabites, because that is very close to where Moab is. Moab Mm -hmm. is basically on that right hand side of the Jordan River. Um, And uh, it's easier if, you know, we're on a podcast, so I can't show you guys a map of what it looks like. Um, But yeah, it's kind of on that southern uh, right hand east, eastern side of um, the little strip that is really Palestine now today. Um, And uh, so I wonder if uh, some of the with Moab being so close to a lot of those three tribes that are over on the right-hand side of the river instead of the left-hand side of the river. I wonder if they intermingled or, you know, whatever uh, took place um, happened there. But that that's a really good insight. I didn't even really yeah, And that's that. actually possible. I know that they said when I was reading um, through that breakdown of the verses, it did say something about Moab actually pre, um, predominating most of those areas. So it's possible that they probably did take over it. But I guess I was wondering if that was the connection to why there seems to be more of a sympathetic outcry from Moab. It's like, you know, God is allowing this to happen, but he yeah. seems to be more merciful, like more sympathetic about it, maybe because his children are connected to that, you know, not just because Moab is related to the Israelites, um, but also because, you know, some of his children from the tribes of Israel helped build up those cities and now he has to destroy them. And 
Um, yeah, also looking thinking about Assyria um, taking over this nation, basically destroying them, I was thinking about the different tactics that Assyria used. Because I know towards the end of the chapter, it talks about blood being in the river. And I know that Assyrians were super cruel in their warfare. Like they would mm-hmm. do certain things like impaling people, which involved, you know, sticking a, this sharp pole up the rectum through the, through the torso. Um, <laughs> you know, they would, they would hang it up for people to see because that was kind of like an Assyrian mindset was to make people afraid based on what they did to other people who were defeated in warfare because they wanted to instill fear. So doing that, um, walling up people, which is basically taking people alive and trapping them inside this wall and letting them starve to death and die of thirst. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is like really, you know, really sad, really um, devastating. Yeah, so. it's really gruesome. Um, although I will say that they did have a habit, too, of like repopulating yes, people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so they wouldn't uh, overall just like kill everybody. Right. Um, but yeah, no, the the I don't know if I've ever gotten into details about uh, how gruesome the Assyrians were in their punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's ma- it's the main reason that Ahaz in chapter seven and eight is so terrified mm-hmm. of uh, Syria too, because in, in chapter seven and eight Syria is kind of the big baddie, and uh, the Assyrians is what Ahaz goes to to like uh, for help, yeah. um, which is odd, um, and he, he like makes a contract with them. And it, during this time period, a lot of we do have records of Moab. Um, making a peace treaty with mm-hmm. um, the Assyrians. Um, they pay them gold and pay them tribute because pretty much every country during this period was paying the Assyrians tribute. And the hope was that Assyria would come and help them if they were ever attacked by another nation like Syria or Israel or whatever. Um, and it doesn't seem to be the case. And this prophecy here, God is saying that um, Moab is going to get punished by these Arab um, desert nomads that are going to come up into their uh, land from the south, and Assyria is not going to be there to um, help with that at all. They're on their own, and this is kind of the prophecy that we get in this passage. So there's not a lot of themes to talk about in this chapter. There will be a little bit more, I think, in the later later episodes. So um, I'll just uh, leave it at that for uh, at least just kind of walking through some of the history and things. Is there anything else you had as closing, Ashley, before we finish up? Um, speaking of wealth, I was, I don't know if this was in this chapter or a previous one, but it said something about God was going to bring a nation, um, against them that was not, um, a fan of gold. Basically they were not interested in gaining gold. They didn't take any joy of this. So it was basically like they couldn't pay them to leave them alone. They couldn't, Hmm. they basically couldn't. And I don't know if this was this chapter or another, may have been another one where it talked about how bribing them wasn't going to benefit them anything. So yeah, yeah. I think that's, um, uh, you're talking about, uh, Ahaz with uh, oh, okay. with uh, uh, Assyria because God is not really happy that mm-hmm. um, Assyria is uh, well that Ahaz is trying to like have this like uh, payment um, uh, friendship mm-hmm. with Assyria and God is telling him that Assyria even though you think they're going to be your savior is actually going to be your downfall um, and so uh, don't uh, don't expect Assyria to be that. I think that's what you're referencing, unless there's another another one that I missed in the last couple chapters. But um, maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, we will definitely get back to you on that one. I'll we'll we'll start the next mm-hmm. podcast episode out with a little bit more on that. So, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, tuning in for us today, and I hope to see you all next week. All right, have a good day. Bye. <laughs>